Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S. And each week, we focus on their stories. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. All right, and we're back at CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Phil Briggs, reporting for ConnectingVets.com, where every week we highlight some of the most important issues in the veteran community. Now, recently, I got an email about how the justice system in many parts of Maryland is failing to help veterans who have made the mistake of committing crimes. For some offenders, their problems with the law stem from issues in their life that can be traced back to their time in the military, or at least at a minimum, the problems they experienced right after they got out. Suffice to say that life got bad for a variety of reasons, but their prior military service could be the thing that helps them get back on track. So here to talk about how veteran treatment courts could be the answer is veteran advocate Josh Marks. Josh, how are you, man? I'm good, Phil. How are you doing this in the morning, sir? Good to see you, man. Good to see you. We used to sit in the back of the train. We solved all the world's problems between our rush hour commute from Washington, D.C. to the suburbs, didn't we? Yes, we did. No one ever asked us. We never had a sitting president ever ask us. We never had a state's attorney sit with us. But, man, did we have some answers. Let's talk before we get to the answers about the problems. Where are we with the, you know, how you see veterans and this thing called a veterans treatment court. What is it I need to know about this? And what is it I need to know? Listeners need to know about, say, the state of Maryland. Nationally, there are about 19 million veterans. And uh, of those 19 million veterans, 41% of them currently are Gulf War veterans and, and conflicts thereafter, Iraqi, Afghanistan. And these guys are coming back with with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, and it needs to be addressed. They're not reintegrating well when they come back. 
And uh, in Maryland, we have 28,000 veterans, over 28,000 now. Um, and about 20% of those veterans come back with mental or chemical dependency with disorders. Um, and they're getting in problems with the law, uh, in pro uh, infractions with the law. And they're, uh, they are not, their needs are not being addressed. Um, and we need more veterans treatment courts. We only have four of them in the state and nothing west of Baltimore or in Southern Maryland or North Maryland. And that's what I'm advocating for. Mm. All right. Well said. Let's jump into kind of an example. How is it that these needs of veterans are not being met in your estimation? Give me an example of the way a veteran comes back and is lauded a hero and everybody loves him and the neighborhoods. Oh, Hey, thank you for your service. And here's 10% off your discount pancakes. Explain to me how life can go sideways and kind of go down the path of chemical dependency a little bit, because okay. I think that that's where this intersects. When they come back and if they're not integrated to society, as you know, you're a veteran, you're, you're accustomed to a structured order. Okay. When they come back, they don't have that structured order. And what complicates the matter is that they come back with traumatic brain injury. They're in the field or they, they have post-traumatic stress disorder. They, you know, they attempt to self-medicate and they get addicted either to alcohol or drugs. And that leads to problems with crime. And when I say crime, I need to be specific. Nothing rising above misdemeanor is what we're concerned about. And they, they don't have a job. And those needs aren't being addressed in the current system. And if they don't have a drug treatment court available within the county or the parts of the state that they're, they're, they're going through, they're being put into a, a, a drug treatment court. And the difference between a veterans treatment court and a drug treatment court is that a veterans treatment court is all structured on the ethos of veteran structured format. All the mentors, the, the therapists, they're all veterans. They all understand and they have team meetings to gauge the progress. And if they graduate the program, it's usually between 12 and 18 months, their criminal records are expunged. And with that advantage, they have opportunity for vocational trading and housing, which a lot of these guys don't have. So where is the state of Maryland? Are we getting it right? Are we getting it wrong? There's a lot of talk in the venues I'm promoting this in. They all recognize there's nothing west of Baltimore. There's nothing in Southern Maryland. There's nothing in North Maryland. And there's only four of these courts in the state. And in the courts that they do have these courts set up, and a perfect example would be Baltimore City District Court. The former judge, uh, she retired, Haley Weinstein, had an excellent program. I call, I believe that was the bar. Um, she had a very successful court. And these guys don't come back. And I don't think that these other venues, they haven't seen the progress that has been made. And I'm trying to open their eyes and say, look, this is the biggest population. We need to help them. We need to help these guys. So you're saying in the state of Maryland, then there's really just one or two veteran treatment courts and, and no none courts, are west of Baltimore. And no new courts since 2017. And I will tell you that uh, the governor here has been nothing but promoting veterans. And this is something that I'm pointing out to his people that maybe we should open this up a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that... Now is the time. Share with me the reception you're getting. Are they interested in hearing you when you say, let's develop a veteran treatment court in your county, sir, because you don't have one and veterans are falling through the cracks every day? Their concern is they may not have the case volume to establish the court. 
But what they don't understand is a typical court, as I've stated, is generally one to four people a month going through the system. We don't have a huge veteran population going out and committing these types of crimes, but nonetheless, they are happening. And, uh, and it needs to be addressed. And I think in, as I said, Western Maryland, there's nothing. Uh, in North Maryland, there's nothing, although they're all talking about it. But I think they were waiting for the opportune time to start looking to establish this type of venue. And now is the time. And where I'm getting pushback from people saying, well, we don't have the volume. I said, have you considered a regional court? And I think a regional court is a good option for a lot of these counties that say, hey, we don't have that type of volume. Yeah. And I tend to wonder if they even know what kind of volume they have. Do they even know if veterans are currently in their system? And that's a good point, Phil. The intake form in the district court, or it could be sheriff or, or police departments, they don't have a question to ask, have you served or are you a veteran? Just want to uh, take a minute here and uh, talk about our sponsor, University of Maryland Global Campus, and uh, thank them for making this show possible, this podcast possible for so many years now. And they've got an event later in October, just want to highlight, called the Virtual Fund Run Challenge. It's a virtual run, and it raises money for the Veteran Assistance Fund. That fund specifically helps student veterans pay for their education when federal financial aid and VA benefits are either unavailable or exhausted. Now to raise money, it's easy. You just spend your $35 registration fee and that money is then given to the Veterans Assistance Fund and then you are off to the races. Run, walk, you can log your miles, uh, you can interact socially and you can see what everybody else is doing. Uh, Show off a little bit if you must. But either way, the UMGC virtual fund run gives to a good cause. And it's always good to see a school supporting military veterans like University of Maryland Global Campus does. Check it all out at umgc.edu slash fund run. All right, welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I am Navy vet Phil Briggs. For ConnectingVets.com, where each and every week we meet some of the most interesting vets in the world and talk about some of the biggest issues in the veteran community. And I do know that veterans sometimes can make a mistake or can get off on the wrong foot and can wind up in situations with law enforcement having been arrested. And that's why I'm curious today to talk to Chris Deutsch, Director of Communications for Justice for Vets. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much, Phil. It's really good to be here. Yeah, I loved reading your article recently, and uh, I think it highlights something that, you know, our previous guest, Josh Mark, said that the state of Maryland is struggling with right now in that there are not enough of these veteran treatment courts. But uh, lay out for me the situation as you see it right now in America with respect to veteran treatment courts, why they're important and kind of, you know, what we need to know to start this discussion. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important to note right off the bat that the vast majority of the folks who serve in the military are strengthened by that service. They come home, they're civic assets, they're leaders in their community. But we know that some will struggle with that transition. And so I think the question we have to ask is, in addition to front-end solutions, 
what are we going to do for the veterans who come into contact with the justice system really because of a root cause of substance use or mental health disorder or trauma? Do we want to discard them as traditionally has been the case, focus on punishment, incarceration, or do we want to treat those issues, get them reunified with their family, get them back on track to, to, uh, to be productive citizens? And so veterans treatment courts have emerged in the last decade or more um, as one of these solutions with, with a real focus on minimizing the impact of justice involvement, connecting these folks to treatment and benefits that they've earned through their military service and, and really restore them to being productive citizens. Now, the first question I have on that is, is why treat veterans differently in this case? Obviously, everybody that's caught up in the court system has a backstory. Obviously, some sort of trauma in their life led them to be uh, drinking and driving or getting in a fight on the street. Why is it important that we recognize the veteran community and maybe treat this just one or two degrees differently? Well, I think that's a really good question. And the good news is the there is now widespread awareness of how issues like substance use and mental health disorders impact all people and can lead to justice involvement. So we have a net, you know, 4,000 treatment courts in this country that are doing the same things that veterans treatment courts are doing, but for civilians, right? We are, um, uh, let me take a step back. Instead of traditional sentencing, we're focusing on treatment, supervision, structure, recovery support. So this is not just happening with veterans, but the real benefit to a veterans treatment court program is that traditionally veterans have been spread out all throughout the justice system on different dockets. And because of the nature of their service, veterans um, have very specific resources, right? They have the entire VA system. Um, they have benefits. And so by bringing veterans together into a single docket, we can more easily connect to those resources and get them what they need. But there's another benefit as well. There is a therapeutic element to the camaraderie that exists among those who serve. And what we see in veterans treatment courts is folks who maybe would have had difficulty accepting that they need help or even asking for help when surrounded by other veterans in that courtroom in a place where the, where the court staff from the judge on down understands military culture, is sensitive to military culture, and is ready to connect them to veteran-specific treatment and support, we see incredible buy-in from folks who maybe traditionally would not have been so ready to accept that help. Wow. So you're saying like just getting together in the room for the weekly meeting or, you know, the mandatory get-together they bond better and help hold each other up more so than room full of alcoholics, a room full of guys busted for Coke, a room full of former heroin addicts. The military veterans have a, have a lower recidivism rate because of that mutual understanding of each other. Well, well, I think that's part of it. You know, it's, it's interesting that the very first veteran stream of court was started in Buffalo, New York, right? Judge Robert Russell. And he was presiding over a drug court and a mental health court in 2007. And he was seeing more and more veterans coming through on these dockets. And he had a Vietnam era veteran in his mental health court who was unresponsive. He was not responding to treatment. He was barely responding verbally in the courtroom. And in a moment of exasperation, Judge Russell asked his court coordinator and another staff member who were both Vietnam vets. He said, guys, can you take him out in the hall? You're, you're all veterans from Vietnam. Talk to him. See if you can reach him. The next time Judge Russell calls the case, 
The guy stands at parade rest. Judge Russell says, are you willing to accept the help we're offering you? And he says, yes, sir. And at that moment, the light bulb went off and Judge Russell said, well, we have this treatment court model. Why don't we adapt it specific to veterans? Surround them with other veterans who uh, have similar experiences and are dealing with similar issues. Bring in all the veteran-specific resources we can and really create a space where, where there's a willingness to accept help. And that was the start of Veterans Treatment Courts. And, and you know, fast forward to today, we're well over 500 operational programs serving about 15,000 veterans each year. Amazing. Now, justiceforvets.org is the website that I interact with you on, but yeah. you're a division of a greater body, which has experience in this world. Explain that kind of. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, some people who hear about Veterans Treatment Courts go, wow, that's such a unique program you know, that came out of nowhere. Well, really, it's an extension of treatment courts, which have been around since 1989. First one model being drug courts. A lot of people have heard of drug courts. The idea is really simple. Instead of focusing on punishment, let's address the root cause of criminal behavior through treatment, structure, counseling. Let's provide housing, employment training, family reunification. So this is not a new concept. It's just being newly applied to veterans. So the National Association of Drug Corps Professionals is the umbrella organization that really provides membership, training, and advocacy for all treatment court models. I was fortunate enough to join right around the time Judge Russell started his program. So I helped launch Justice for Vets in 2010. And we've just seen the program continue to grow throughout the country in the years since. Yeah. And I wanted to kind of highlight the fact that it's drug court treatment professionals as the, the umbrella organization that everybody falls under because it is the genesis of so many problems for veterans is the drugs. The fact yeah. that we get out, we have been medicated. We are medicated. You do not go through years of service without a toll on your back, your knees, your shoulders. And certainly if you're a combat vet, that was that to an extreme, because in mm -hmm. addition to the packs and the rucksacks and all the gear, you know, you've got things falling on you. You've you're falling on things, falling off buildings. It's hell to pay over there. Explain to me kind of where we see the veterans today that are caught up in you call the justice involved veteran. But um, yeah. what are the backgrounds? And what kind of things are they experiencing? Is it is it more DUIs or is it possession? Like, what are we looking at? I think you hit on something really interesting. In 2014, the Washington Post and the Kaiser Family Foundation did a, a study and they found half of the 2.6 million veterans at the time of OEF, OIF, were dealing with physical and mental health struggles. Um and we also know that veterans with PTSD are 60% more likely to be involved. Uh, with the justice system, right? So these are indicators of future justice involvement. We also know that any childhood trauma experienced before joining the military is going to um, be exacerbated by a traumatic experience in the military. So there's a lot of factors that come into play that might lead someone who served to struggle once they, um, you know, once they get out of the military with their mental health and self-medicating with substances. Um, you know, I think it's really important to note that that veterans are not incarcerated more than non-veterans. You know, I think sometimes there's a picture painted of of all uh, of a predominant number of veterans who are coming home and struggling. It's a smaller percentage than we may think. However, these issues are really debilitating. And what we see, you know, is interesting when when 
Operation Enduring Freedom and Operation Iraqi Freedom were still active engagements, we were seeing more and more of the veterans coming home and getting into trouble with the law really quickly because that transition was so dramatic. Now we're seeing veterans who have been home for a few years and these problems have started to mount, right? The collateral damage is, is greater. First, it may start with a, uh, the, the dissolution of a marriage, loss of a job, loss of housing. And so by the time they make it into um, the justice system and in particular veterans treatment court, there are a lot of pieces to put back. Um, it may be a DUI that initially gets them in. Um, it may be, um, uh, you know, burglary, theft, any number of things. But, but, but really what we focus on is what is the cause of this behavior? How can it be treated? How can we rebuild this person, get them back to the, the, the individual they were while they were serving, um, and, and set them on a course to be successful? Um, and, and, and that is really, that is really the goal of veterans treatment courts. Man, I just want to stop and say that I think you said something so profound there. I mean, you said a couple of profound things, Chris. Don't <laughs> get me wrong. I mean, no, but uh, uh, the one thing you noted there when you listed the traumas, there are only a small percentage of the American military vet that's seen the combat that triggers mm-hmm. the PTSD. But there are so many that deployed. And when you mentioned dissolution of a marriage, I know at my phase in life, you know, I'm a dad first and then I'm an employee. If my marriage crumbled and I didn't have this dad mode to be in, if I didn't have that, like that's the most significant thing in my life. That right there is a trauma equal to explosions and detonations and things. You know, I look, having never experienced some of those things, I don't know, but I can tell you on a heart level the crushing blow it must feel like to have your marriage go sideways and not have an appropriate support system that can, you know, what do you think about the classic response to a divorce is, Oh my gosh, I'm going to pour a drink. There Mm -hmm. I go. I got to go sit down and think about this. And there I am thinking about my life and my marriage and my wife and my kids. And, and, and what's the classic movie scene. I'm pouring a drink or I'm pouring a glass of wine and I'm thinking about that. That right there is so common to the not just veteran experience, but the damn American experience. Well, and I, I, I wonder, are you seeing more and more cases of this as the 20 year old veteran gets into his thirties or the 30 year old veteran gets into this forties and the wife or the family structure is just like, look, you've been deployed half our marriage. I'm sick of this S. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, we do see that. And, um, you, you know, it's really interesting. You think about, you know, wh- what happens when someone's dealing with trauma or, um, or a mental health issue, right? It's disconnection. One of, one of the hallmarks is you tend to withdraw, you isolate. Think about the experience of leaving the military. You leave your unit, the support structure that's been a part of your life for a number of years. And suddenly you're back home in your community and none of that's there. And then your marriage falls apart. You're further disconnected. You're further isolated. And so these are, you know, th- these are some of the issues we see that, that, uh, are precursors to justice involvement. And, you know, it, it is vital that we start thinking about front end solutions that, that we're connecting folks to treatment well before they get involved in the justice system. However, for the folks that do fall through the cracks and get involved, we've got to have systems in place to intervene, right? Th- th- these are, these are people who served um, with dignity and with honor, 
they are instilled with those values and we can return them to that but it 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 takes effort and it takes treatment and it takes um you know a, a lot of social support and and that's really what br- is brought to bear in a veterans treatment court do you think based upon you know the wind down of the global war on terrorism you know our exit from afghanistan um do you think we're about ready to see a wave of more and more veterans that may be uh you know involved in the justice system that's a really good question. You know, I've seen some research that's um, was looked at Vietnam era veterans and found it can take 10 to 15 years for these problems to pile on top of each other to the point where a veteran gets involved in the justice system. And so when we think about that, we may not have seen the wave yet of veterans who served in those engagements and are struggling and ultimately end up in the justice system. And the fact of the matter is, we have plenty of veterans in the justice system now that we need to be responding to. Um, and so, so yes, I think we need to be preparing ourselves for what that influx may look like while we are also doing a better job of identifying veterans right now who are in contact with law enforcement or in contact with the courts, um, identify them and, and get them connected to veteran specific treatment and resources. And that's been a real big issue for, for many years. You know, for a long time, jurisdictions just simply were not asking the question, right? They weren't identifying veterans. Um, and, and now we're starting to see that. And, and what we're finding is there are, there are plenty of veterans in the justice system who need our help. Yeah. And that leads me to kind of my next question. And that is, you know, where are we going in America? Are states getting this right? I know your website boasts, you know, thousands of, Interactions and tens of thousands of interactions, thousands of veteran advocate professionals that have been trained. Uh, but then, you know, our, my first guest on the show today said that the state of Maryland has, you know, a veterans treatment court in Baltimore County, you know, the lar- one of the yeah. larger counties, but out West, um, you know, towards the Appalachian border there with West Virginia and Virginia, where it gets a little more rural, nothing. And yeah. he says that like states get or you know, the state of Maryland is giving him pushback like, well, there's just not enough of them on our docket. And, you know, he talks about combining counties so that, you know, yeah. several counties can all have a single docket. And I'm saying they're not enough on your docket. How do you even know if you're not asking somebody yeah. at the point of being pulled over and arrested? Are you a veteran? You don't even know how many vets you have. So where if that's just the little tiny state of Maryland, where are we nationally? Well, you know, I think there's real reason to be optimistic here. You know, we've seen a tremendous growth of these programs. We're seeing jurisdictions starting to ask the question, starting to identify veterans, working with law enforcement, who are generally the first responders to a veteran in crisis on how to deal with that. We're seeing the court system start to look at alternatives to incarceration. We're even seeing for incarcerated veterans, veteran-specific pods or units where they're housed together. So there is a lot of positive momentum here, but as you correctly identify, there's a lot of work to be done, particularly in rural communities. You know, I hear all the time, um, well, we don't have enough veterans to support, you know, a veterans treatment court. And I ask, well, how many do you have? And generally they don't know, right? So I think it starts with really identifying the scope of the issue and, and then coming up with solutions. And, um, you know, I, I'm very optimistic. I think there's never before been such widespread public understanding of how debilitating these issues of substance use and mental health disorders and trauma is. And there is widespread support to 
change our justice system to be more responsive to that. Um, but we've got a lot of work to do. And uh, which is why I appreciate conversations like this that really highlight this issue and, and get folks thinking about, um, you know, what what more can we do uh, for veterans and non-veterans who get into the justice system because of these issues? Now, if I'm a listener and I have a family member that has maybe had some interactions with the justice system, look, maybe had a little problems with the law, maybe had a DUI, maybe, you know, been arrested for this or that or 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 know that my family member and or friend is dealing with substance abuse issues. What do I do? Do I call my county state's attorney? Do I call my state, uh, you know, legislator? I mean, like, how do I get the justice system in my neck of the woods to understand that Veterans Treatment Court is valuable and we need this? especially if I have a friend or family member in the system? Yeah, well, you know, it's sort of a two-part uh, answer to that. I mean, one, you know, we all can be starting to ask our, our elected officials, you know, why don't we have a veterans treatment court? What are we doing for our veterans in the justice system? Start having those conversations because these things can be started sometimes out of mayor's offices, sometimes out of the county level. Sometimes it's a judge who says, I want to do this and starts putting together the team. And then Justice for Vets can come in and train you and give you all the resources you need to get up and running. You know, if you if if you're dealing with a loved one who's involved in the justice system, talk to the lawyer. Make sure make sure that it is well known and well established that that individual is a uh, is a veteran and and served. If there's a veterans treatment court, ask for a referral. Not every veteran is going to qualify, but but if you can get that referral and that assessment, there's a chance that they might. Um, um, but, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think the more we can just be, be asking these questions and, and pushing our elected officials to really, um, take this on, uh, the more we're going to see it grow. Right on. Maybe you could just come to the great state of Maryland and, uh, you know, I can sit you down with a couple of, uh, the county justices here and let them see, uh, you know, why this can't just be relegated to Baltimore County, Maryland, but needs be to be statewide. <laughs> Very good. Hey, if I want more information about Justice for Vets, if I want to learn more about these types of programs, uh, and again, as I said, if I have a friend, family member, loved one, or I am myself uh, involved in situations like we've discussed today, uh, what do I do? Where do I go? What do I need yeah, to know? Yeah, justiceforvets.org uh, is a great resource for learning about these programs. I'd also add, um, you know, the VA now has the Veterans Justice Outreach Program, which is um, – staff at every VA medical center in the country whose job it is is to liaison with the justice system and ensure veterans either um, before the courts or re-entering after a period of incarceration are getting linked back up with their services. So um, local VA medical centers, Veterans Justice Outreach is another great resource for friends and family who are dealing with this. Very cool. Chris George, appreciate everything you're doing, brother man. I know, uh, you know, the path to success is a long and winding road, but I'll quote Led Zeppelin when I say, yes, there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. So uh, appreciate you like you don't even know. Chris Deutsch from justiceforvets.org. Talk to you soon, sir. Hey, thanks so much, Phil. All right, so that does it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. Now, we'd love to hear from you, so follow us on Twitter at IonVeterans, or you can reach me at PhilBriggsVet. I'm always down to get your hot takes and spicy memes, and I'd love to talk to you every week, so please like and subscribe. 
Hell, even give us a review of the show because the comments and reviews really help us tailor the show to you. Again, I'm Phil Briggs, Navy veteran and reporter with ConnectingVets.com in Washington, D.C. And I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.